Dirty dog, dirty dog. Big, big news. Big, big news. I got you on the line here. It's May 27th, 1996. It's Memorial Day. Hopefully you had a great barbecue or something. Big news. WCW Monday Nitro is two hours now. Wait. And you're going to sit down and watch it with me. Two hours? Yep. That you got it, man. Two too many hours for me of World Championship Wrestling Beverly Hills. But look what's on the schedule tonight. The Shark, Steve Dahl. Rob Parker's going to debut his new client. Aren't you excited? I am not a fish. I am not an avalanche, Mr. Beverly Hills. I am a dog. I do not want to watch Steve Dahl, who isn't a baby face, who isn't even a baby doll. I want nothing to do with World Championship Wrestling. Well, it's starting in a few seconds, so I'm turning it on, and you're gonna listen. To, you're gonna watch it with me. Three, two, one. Here we go. Hey, dirty dog, I hear you calling. I think it's time for the show. The sleep hold has got me confused, but maybe here we go. Mr. Hills and the dog from Maine, event status radio. They're recording again. <laughs> Bagels and biceps all over my screen. What are we supposed to do? Live. In Macon, Georgia. Recorded live inside the Macon Coliseum. We're here to make your back crack, make your liver quiver, make your knees freeze, Daddy. This is 400 plus pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. I am the Bull of the Woods. I am the Dirty Dog Darcy. Join me as my broadcast partner. The blue eye sold himself, <laughs> Mr. Beverly Hills, 90210. What's happened, Beverly? Oh, man, not too much. I'm very excited to debut the main event status, Studio South, number two. It's beautiful, Mr. Beverly Hills. Thank you. I, you had a good we, look of like the closet door behind me. Before we went live with this recording... <laughs> you were giving me the tour of Benefit Status Studios <laughs> Office South Number Two or whatnot. It is, <laughs> it is absolutely beautiful and stunning. I love the, that uh, off-white paint in the background. It's <laughs> stunning. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. What is also stunning, absolutely beautiful, Mister Beverly Hills. Yep. As of us recording this, we've Benefit Status Radio. Is officially one years old. Awesome. Awesome. It's been a great year. It's been a really good year. I cannot believe we went one full year. Yeah? I, yeah, I can't say I necessarily, when we started, I don't know, I didn't, if you would have asked me, I'm not sure if I would have predicted, like, yeah, we'll go a whole year, but here we are, and it's worked really well. 
I was thinking over the last, I guess, night. I've mentioned before as a, I guess, giving giving myself some crap. I guess I'm the Ron Burgundy of the podcast. Okay. Since if I'm the Ron Burgundy, who would you be? Um. Well, I guess I'd pro- Oh man, probably Brian Fantana. Okay, I was gonna say, <laughs> who, who would? I, technically, who would, though, I'm probably Veronica. Well, <laughs> I'll just kick her out of the cast. So I am Veronica. Who would who, who would be? Okay, since we got half half the cast set up. Who would be the other two? Um, I guess who would be our well, other well, two Dad, horsemen? Daddy Sunshine is definitely... Uh, hmm. Okay, so if we're not counting Veronica, if it's just Ron and the other three, <laughs> since it's just four. You're Ron. I'm... Hmm. Actually, I'm probably Champ. Whammy! <laughs> um, Daddy Sunshine is definitely Brian Fantana. Uh, and I don't know who's brick. You can say that because I feel like whoever's brick, that can be kind of an insult. So, <laughs> okay. How about? Oh, this? you know who? You know who's brick? Who? No offense, because I love her with all of my heart. But the one who's brick is the one who turned off our uh, router. The only one who's who's cut out our podcast. Sorry, Mama D. Maybe she wanted. Maybe. She's the dusty roads to our four horsemen. Yeah, she's trying to take us out. You're right. We turned on her in the cage. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so she's so she's turning on us right back. <laughs> so because of the uh, our one year anniversary, we want to thank all you listeners for joining us within the last year. Whenever you jumped on the mid-event status bandwagon, I want to thank the previous guests from Dean Stahl to. The Water Maneuver guys to Brian Alvarez to Captain Obvious and Daddy Sunshine and Mother D and <laughs> everybody else who's jumped on the bandwagon to join in for a podcast or we're a partial. It's been fun. Yeah, right on. So, as we alluded to in the podcast, this, we are on the our Great American Bash at the Beach tour of 1996. Yes. Right on, right on. We are starting with the Memorial Day edition of Nitro in 1996, the very first Nitro that went two hours long, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yes, sir. And you're the one, I guess, that thought of, the, or the, I guess, you're the one that uh, birthed this series, so to say. I guess I planted the seed. It came from my loins. I did birth it. <laughs> I plant this seed and you uh, watered the tree that is the Great American Bash of the Beach Tour. Yes, yes. So why why these set of nitros and why these two pay-per-views we'll be reviewing? Well, I mean, I guess you, you suggested Death of WCW and I thought that this two-month period really showed... You know, the height of WCW, but also kind of the, I, to go back to the well of this analogy, it, it kind of shows the seeds of what would eventually become problems of WCW too. So I thought it'd be interesting, you know, and we like, we like doing this here at Main Event Status Radio, doing the nitros that lead up to pay-per-views so, or whatever the TV shows that lead up to big shows. So, so yes, I agree. I, you first gave this idea to me. These nitros and pay-per-views months ago, probably three, four months ago, I was excited. <laughs> Good. 
Okay, so according to my Ruku, I've been waiting two months for this, Mr. Beverly Hills. <laughs> according to my Ruku, and I quote, this episode of Nitro features a shocking appearance that turned the wrestling world upside down. Stain battles Scott Steiner. Yep. That was a shock to me, Mr. Beverly Hills. <laughs> that Sting was going to battle Scott Steiner? Well, according to my Ruku, that that was a shock appearance that shocked the wrestling world. You've been waiting two months to, to read that line? Maybe. Rough. Rough. <laughs> yes. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with a review of the 37th edition of WCW Monday Night Row. Anyway, let's play one song, then we'll wrap it up here. Somebody sent in a uh, an apology to you, Vinny. Oh, really? Yeah. Because uh, a couple days ago on the show, we were reading Granny's book titles or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and Eric Darcy said something very negative. I can't remember what it, he said about you. I think it says in the song. Something about Vinny sucks or something. It's impossible. Everyone likes me. But here we go. Here's here's uh, a song. Eric Darcy goes with I Am Dumb, The Life That Was Vinny V. I Am Dumb? Yeah. I don't get it. I don't like it. Apparently he thinks I'm dumb. <laughs> huh. There must, there must be more to it we're not getting. That's unlike Eric to just call you dumb. Maybe I'm just dumb. <laughs> I can keep going. Well, remember, everyone, I'm dumb. <laughs> That's his apology? I'm not just an apology. <laughs> Pointing out how dumb I, in fact, am. <laughs> I don't think Eric knows what the word apology means. I'm not a big fan of this Eric fella. Oh, he's a nice guy. He just pointing out that sometimes I make mistakes. I think he was just pointing out... That I'm dumb. Well, I think you said you were dumb a couple of times, and so he turned it into a book title, and he was the only one that got the joke. He was the only one who remembered this. But now I get the joke. Yeah. And I guess the title is apropos. So I guess I owe him an apology. Yeah. Sorry, Eric. Eric, I apologize for being so dumb. <laughs> Eric, he apologized for being so mad that you called him dumb. You are right, is what he's saying. And we are back on Made Event Status Radio. Hope you guys enjoyed that little short break. We <laughs> surely did. We took five seconds. We cut our breath. Mr. <laughs> Beverly Hills, during that break, you said you have a little bit of a history lesson for us on the podcast. So give us a little history lesson. Yeah, well, I wanted to do this. I don't know. I just think this is interesting. It gives like a context for this series. I want to do just a little history on the arenas that we're in. So this week, like you said, we're in the Macon Coliseum in Macon, Georgia. Um, Macon Coliseum, one of the smaller um, arenas that uh, we're going to be in. I And the reason why I want to do this is because it has kind of a really interesting look on the inside. Um kind of with some architectural details in the ceiling. Uh, so the Macon Coliseum was built in 1968. Um, it has a capacity of like around 9,252. Um, it's hosted Elvis Presley, James Brown, the Jackson Five, and it has the different teams that have called it home include the 
Macon Steel, the Macon Knights, the Macon Whoopi, and the Macon Tracks. I was going to say, you see me laugh because that's one thing I like about the town name of Macon that sounds like you're <laughs> making Whoopi. You're making something, right? Making yeah. Steel or whatever. So you saw me <laughs> laughing and all that. Yes. So that's why I was laughing. I know. Those are great. Yeah. Macon can't get away from that. It seems like they always name their teams something that, well, and sorry, the, the current tenant, the Macon Mayhem, <laughs> just they can't help it. Oh, wait, so that means they created the WCW Mayhem pay-per-view back in the day? <laughs> no, the Macon Mayhem was not founded until 2015. <laughs> Praise the wrestling god above. Yeah, but it's still, it's still in use. It... Uh, Obviously hosted a lot of WCW events. Uh, WWF has aired there. And most recently, TNA had three uh, epis- or a few episodes of Impact taped in 2011. Interesting. So that gives the context of where we're at. So May 1996, we got, it is Memorial Day. Do you know... I'll ask you this. Do you know, is there anything that um, WWF was postponed for any reason? It seemed like this would be a good chance for WCW to make a splash. I don't know. It seems like they, whenever they did something big like this, it was when um, WWF was postponed. Do you know if they were or not? I did not look into it, but... Okay. I'm sure okay. if they yeah. were, it were probably because of the dog show. No, that's in the... You're shaking your fist at me angrily, Beverly Hills. <laughs> the dog show's in February. Yeah, well, <laughs> they were taking the night off because it's Memorial well, I mean, Day. Look, they want to remember, remember that they should take a break once in a while. Mr. Beverly Hills. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up. It just... The dog, it, the, I feel like some people... They know that, like, the the dog show makes WWF take nights off, so they're just, whenever they're off, they're just like, dog show. Must have been the dog show. <laughs> Even if it's, like, December or whatever, they're just like, dog show. Must be a cat <laughs> showing me. I wish. Meow, meow, meow. I wish. All right, well, tell us some more. Get us into this. I was excited to uh, open up. The show with do 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 pew do do pew. I don't know how the theme song goes. I don't remember. <laughs> it was I. I always have a. I always have a soft spot in my heart to hear that natural theme song and see the, the I guess the images of wrestling WCW wrestling on like abandoned buildings and the abandoned town <laughs> yep. blowing up. The fire just going through the entire city. It, it is an abandoned city somewhere in Minnesota. <laughs> Being blown up, up in the Iron Range, Gorilla. The Iron Range. Making iron. Yes. Uh, there there was a Raw that night featuring some King of the Ring qualifying matches. Okay, so there was a Monday Night Raw. Yeah, but they went head-to-head. Okay, so the second hour is when they went head-to-head, right? Yes, uh-huh. Okay, makes Correct. a lot of sense. So, and it was a live one, ooh, interestingly enough. Usually, again, again, it's surprising that they picked this big, this obviously probably the biggest Nitro 
in history, you know, they usually kind of like to schedule against some um, some tape things, but this was a this was a live one. So yeah, Nitro opens up with the classic uh, Nitro opening that everybody remembers. Then the pyro goes off in, in the arena, and Tony Schiavone welcomes us to Monday Night Raw or Monday Night Raw, Monday Night Nitro. <laughs> Nitro's on. He's telling us that Nitro's on TNT in his Memorial Day 1996, the first ever two-hour edition of Monday Nitro. He is welcoming you to television's hottest program that had just gotten bigger. Larry Zbysko is his color commentator in the team for the first hour, and we have another announced team for the second hour. Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heaton will be there for the second hour. Okay, so thoughts on these two teams. Which one would you have preferred? Would you have preferred to switch them, keep them one over the other, or do you like the switch? Give I me felt, your I felt thoughts. Like I felt like it was very interesting for the switch. Uh, I'm sure we'd be talking about that in the weeks on end through this series. Um, I guess to me it gives it a change of pace having two different teams. With you know two different play-by-play bands and two different color commentator guys, I'll even yeah. notice too that I'll mention in the second hour of Nitro that Zabisco and Shivani were sitting by the ring, and Bischoff and Heaney were sitting up in the in the vintage Nitro announce team uh, setting up by the up by the ramp. Okay, uh, and I thought that was an interesting touch to have the two different announce teams, I guess sitting you know. In two different uh, sitting in two different spots, I guess in ways it makes sense, you know, especially since the hour change happens in a match that kind of awkward awkward to have the second hour announced team sit with the first hour announced team at the beginning of, the, of that match, whatever welcomes us. Well, they wouldn't switch hour. during the match. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. They didn't though. They didn't switch during a match. I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to post any spoilers, Beverly Hills. You're correct. So, <laughs> okay. uh, Tony Schiavone and Larry Zbysko run down the matches of the night. There will be a television title match and a world title match tonight on Monday Nitro. Mm-hmm. And Rob Parker has a new client. Yes. So, the very first match is American Males. Yeah. Marcus Alexander Bagwell and Scotty Riggs taking on Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. With those two guys, it's Miss Elizabeth and a woman. Right. And when the American males come out, they hilariously show, like, two guys in the crowd that are, like, stone-faced. And one of them just, like, looks at the camera and puts up the four horsemen symbol. I thought it was hilarious because, like, they're obviously presenting the American males as the fan favorites. And the first person they show is someone who hates them. (laughs) <laughs> What's your thoughts on the American Males theme song? It's fine. I love it. American Males, American Males, American Males, American Males. Okay, I'm not going to sing anymore, Mr. Beverly Hills. Yeah, it's and fine. I noted during uh, when Flair and Anderson were coming out that Zabisco comment- commented that Flair is a master of the chess game of professional wrestling. That's not the last time you're going to hear Larry freaking talk about human chess either. He's got like four points that he just keeps hammering and hammering and hammering through the whole time. It kills me. I thought Larry Zabisco was a good commentator. He's freaking awful. 
Yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from there. That I guess. Well, I guess okay. For so far, on our into our nitro, is Larry Sabisco any worse than Shawn Michaels? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I think he's worse. Yeah. Is Larry Sabisco worse than Jerry Lawler? Oh, a hundred percent. Jerry Lawler is way better than Larry Zabisco. Okay, just was. Oh, is Larry Zabisco worse than Bill, Bill Mercer? Um, in different ways. Okay, they're they're bad. They're bad in their own right. <laughs> Fair enough. Something that isn't bad is Ric Flair's pink robe. Yeah, it's really nice. It's got it's like kind of a powder pink with more of a magenta flowers on it. Something that I feel like goes along with Ric Flair's pink robe is this one of a kind Dr. Pepper vanilla float. Okay. To me, this was the main event of our one. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with you. Pause down. Then uh <laughs> Shivani and Zabisco go over to the Flair and Mongo feud of the Great American Bash, where Rick Flair and Arn Anderson will take on Steve Mongo McMichael and his tag team partner at the pay-per-view. Did they announce who, who Mongo's partner will be yet? Oh, yeah. Kevin Green. Yep. Yeah, because they talk a lot about it, and uh, Zabisco keeps talking about... Uh, Do- he keeps dogging the football players and... Uh, um, how he's like, Kevin Green lost the Super Bowl, then they kicked him off, and where does he play in North Carolina? Yeah, so, yes, they were talking about him a lot. Okay. How, okay, tell tell me about Kevin Green, Mr. Beverly Hills, because, you know, I know little to none about professional sports. Sure, Kevin Green was a... Uh, a defensive player. He played kind of a, a D end linebacker hybrid in the Steiners, in the Ste- not the Steiners, in the Steelers defense. He was a, a big part of their um, their kind of big defense at the time. It was really what carried them. Um, but he was kind of getting toward toward the end of his career in 1995, and he was. I don't know if he was taken in the expansion draft or if he was. Uh, signed as a free agent to the Carolina Panthers, which were starting up that year in 1995. And, um, yeah. Or is he in first or second year? So, yeah, he signs with the Carolina Panthers, a brand-new team in Charlotte, and uh, he played a few years for them before, you know, retiring. And I think he's a coach now of some sort. Do you know why Mongo got pulled off the announced team and put in the ring? Probably because he wanted to start wrestling would be my only guess. Which I guess I'm I'm happy that he's off the announced team. Yeah, it was funny, though. Well, true. But just the few night episodes of Nitro we, we've reviewed so far in the podcast, kind of happy he's, he's off the announced team. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Not, so, that, not that I'm a big fan of Larry Z replacing him. So Ric Flair and Scotty Riggs started the match, and Flair complains that Riggs pulled his hair. Yeah, because he's really he's taking it to him. He uh, gets him in a side headlock. He uh, um, 
is trying kind of these uh, back and forth shots, but Riggs is is really kind of taking it to him. Um, yeah, like you said, he complains of of a hair pull. And one thing I appreciated about, I guess, the start of this match was how great. I enjoyed the teamwork between Flair and Honor Anderson on the outside of the ring to Riggs. Yeah, they were looking great throughout. Yeah, they would they would go outside and uh, Flair would kind of duck and Arn would hit him with an elbow. He tried it once, he missed the second time. Then uh, one, a note that I took down that I appreciated was Flair and Double A were doing uh, quick tags, keeping each other fresh and all that fun stuff. You're giving me a stone face? Well, okay. What about it? I thought you were the play-by-play man during the match. Was That's what I was. thought, too. I was wondering when you were going to give it to me. Well, I was waiting for you, you to just take it wait. Hills. Just you take just, it. Just you're just it. going for it. Just, I don't know how to. Just take it. Because you're just going to keep going. You're steamrolling me. Just take it, Gorilla. All right, so... um, Yeah, Flair and Arn, they were, they were working on the outside really well. Arn had a great, um, or no, Flair had a great rub of Riggs' face on the top rope, which I thought looked really, really kind of brutal on that. Um, Riggs was was able to get Bagwell in here, and he was looking pretty darn good. Uh, a really high back body drop on Flair really kind of got him up into the lights, and then two drop kicks that sent Flair to the outside crawling around the ring. <laughs> Always nice to see them crawling around the ring, Gorilla. It was, it was funny because he was Flair was really really selling that like he's just so uh, taken aback by how good Bagwell is. Um, Arn then goes to to Bagwell. He goes, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> Which I thought was uh, was funny there. Um, as Flair's chased to the outside, he goes to his little VIP section in the of the ramp there, gets a glass of champagne. I wanted <laughs> takes to ask, a drink of it. Do you know why Ric Flair has his own champagne table coming down coming down the ring in the aisle? I think it's just because they're the horsemen. Because okay. they can do what they want. <laughs> okay, because I know right around this time, I guess I'll talk about it more later. Well, you know, I just I'll t- touch upon it when we see a Macho Man video package a little later. Oh yeah, yep. It's it's been a key po- point to the shows for the last few months. Yeah, between, the, the Horseman VIP area yeah, between Ric Flair and Randy Savage. Yep. Um, we get a yeah, commercial so th- break yep. in there too somewhere. Yep. At that point, we got the commercial break. Um, Flair's got Bagwell in the corner, but uh, he fights out, hits another back body, and gets in Riggs there. Yeah, then it comes in with a as a house of fire. Yep, but Flair was able to trip Riggs real quick, get him into the ropes. Um, Anderson got a chop block, and so begins the work on Riggs' leg, which uh, takes a pretty long time. Um at some point, somebody brings over um, champagne to Larry and Tony. <laughs> I laughed. I, in my notes, I put down Flair somehow gave Shivani and Zabisco some champagne. Yeah, somebody brought it over. I don't know if it was the ladies or if it was an attendant of some sort. And I just thought it was funny that like during the match, we get a full like 30-second clip of 
the announcers drinking champagne. I'm like, hmm, is this the best use of our TV time? But whatever. Mr. Um, Hills, I wish that somehow our te- our our internship made event satisfactory looking bring uh, both of us a glass of champagne. <laughs> right, yeah. And I mean, not that I'm a champagne connoisseur by any means, but Larry likes to present that he's really smart, but he was calling this champagne Don Perignon when it's Dom Perignon. I'm just <laughs> saying, like, I'm the professor. I'm so freaking smart. I'm Larry Zabisco. Don Perignon. He's an idiot. Um, I'm sorry, Mr. Beverly Hills, but Larry Sabisco is no Mike today. Well, definitely. What? But what does he call himself? What's Larry? The living living legend. legend. Oh, he certainly isn't no freaking Larry living legend. That's true. Um, anyway. Yeah, back to the back to the ring here. Flair had a good looking shin breaker, and uh, Arn took over on Riggs, but Riggs was able to get an Enzigiri, take him down. Um, this kind of pissed Flair off and Flair, Flair and Randy Anderson started into a shoving match that lasted a pretty long time. I was kind of surprised. What were your thoughts on the Randy Anderson shoving match? I, I laugh because Ric Flair has his own podcast and yes, I listened to it. Okay. And Ric Flair mentioned that during, I can't remember which podcast recently, but he mentioned that, that he came up with a ref, you know, pushing the referee spot because... Because when he when he was a, a touring NWA World Champion in some towns when he was wrestling, the fans could care less about the match and seemed pretty dead. So he came up with a spot to shove the referee just to get fans into it. Well, when the ref shoves back, the the crowds always just freak out. They yeah. love it, and yeah. I can't imagine that if I were at the uh, show, if I would do anything different, I'd probably just be right with them. That'd be awesome. Well, yeah, it just. Made me laugh. I guess it made me smile when I heard that story from Ric Flair on one of the more recent podcasts of his, you know, of his podcast. And I guess it's fun going back and watching these old shows just to see him push the referee, knowing knowing more that he does does that spot just to get the fans more into the match and all that. So speaking of podcasts, though, how sad are you that it seems like the old fart wrestler podcasts are kind of thinning out? No more Roddy Piper, no more Goldberg. Well, Goldberg's that done? Well, it's been like, hasn't it been like four months since he's released one? Uh, I never listened to one edition of the Goldberg's oh, podcast. surprising, surprising. I did so do- I'm just asking you, like, what are you going to do with your time? All the old fart wrestling podcasts are going away. One, I downloaded the first edition of Goldberg's podcast just because Jim Ross is on it for like five minutes. Okay. After, I just want to listen to that segment. Uh, Piper's podcast, I well, I didn't even want to talk about that because it felt <laughs> like Piper g- digged himself into a hole with the whole situation. Okay. Yeah, he was messing with Austin or something. Messing yeah. with Austin and Austin wasn't. <laughs> it's not like that. Will Sasso, you know, did a Austin <laughs> That's right. Freaking Will Sasso. It's not like that. Will Sasso and Piper talked about on touched on some topics that Austin. Austin's a little sensitive about and sure and Austin was or I guess Piper went to the president of a podcast one asked for his release and all that because he has some movie deals or whatever else coming up and according to Piper Austin made him or according to Piper Austin got him fired from podcast one <laughs> so, so that, that's just a bunch of drama 
but it's okay, Mr. Beverly Hills. I still have a lot of podcasts <laughs> on my iPod. I, I'm sure. I listen to more than wrestling podcasts, Mr. Beverly Hills. As <laughs> noted on a, on within the last year of Mid Event Status Radio, I also right listen on. to like paranormal kind of podcasts. <laughs> so, would you know what? You, this is why you need to watch Lucha Underground. It is the perfect confluence of your favorite um, interests. They have a wrestling zombie who is managed by a ghost. They have a, um, like, the big villain is a monster who lives in a cage. I think you need to watch this because this is, like, right up your alley. I think you don't need to do some... uh and have a production meeting in off-the-air off gorilla and possibly maybe do the first season sometime on Main Event Status Radio. I, th- I think that's a fantastic idea. It's like 40 episodes. I don't know if we can do the full season. <laughs> well, they're only like an hour. They're half piece, hour. Or, half, or no, they are an hour. An right. hour on TV, so it's not like we can't just maybe do two episodes of podcast. Right on. But okay. let's get back It'll to the match. Thought. It'll be a thought. Okay, so at this point, we get a hot tag to whom Tony keeps calling Mark Bagwell, which I mean, it's it's just frustrating because it's like you want to use the name that they're presented as, even though, sorry, these are good sidetracks, I think. Did you see the announcer notes that were circulating this week? I looked at them. I read part of, I think, the first page, then I... Seeing that there was like eight pages long and super small <laughs> font, and on my phone I didn't want to like zoom in to read it better, so I just quit reading it. Okay, well, one of the things that was there is that you should never, and I thought this was a good, actually a really good note. You should never use pronouns, so you shouldn't say like he or him or things like that. You should always use names, which makes total sense, right? But that you should always try to think of new ones which is and then it listed them which is they had all like the undertaker nicknames like even the really bad ones um devil's favorite no that's kane right Right. devil's favorite demon or whatever but like that's where all those dumb nicknames come from because it's like try to think of as many ways to say their name as possible which i just thought about when he's saying mark bagwell (laughs) i guess that no that makes sense why uh undertaker and Ken or whoever else has many different nicknames. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Um, so anyways, Mark Bagwell gets tagged in. He's really a house of fire. Punches to everybody. Really, He's he's really hitting some nice-looking drop kicks in this match. Um, another good-looking back body drop to Flair. And he goes up top to get a flying drop kick to Flair. Now we get kind of some shenanigans. Some shenanigans where Bagwell rolls up Flair, Arn comes and pushes his butt to flip him over, Riggs comes back and flips the the other butt (laughs) over there, uh, and it just sends a two count. And the ref's like just standing there. And I'm like, (laughs) you know that it's not okay that like they're changing the count, right? But he's just cool with it, whatever. Um... Bagel hooks up a, a good another good looking fisherman suplex uh, to put down Flair, but Arn is able to break it up. Um, Bagel hit another drop kick and a pin, but Woman scratched his eyes, 
which uh, allowed Arn to hit a really good-looking, really crisp-looking DDT uh, that led to the victory. Talk about Arn Anderson's DDT, Mr. Beverly Hills. This past right. week, did you see uh, me retweet a thing about Arn Anderson doing a phantom DDT? I don't think so. Okay, I, I saw on Twitter that uh, on Twitter that Aaron Anderson was having a match with Alex Wright. Okay. And and Anderson well, Anderson act like he's gonna kick, you know, kick uh, Wright in the gut to set up for the DDT. And Wright just you know did the phantom bent over spot. Anderson's like screw it and herpin DDT'd him and that made me laugh. I watched it like five or six times through because how much it made me laugh. <laughs> Funny. And how awesome Aaron Anderson's DDT looks. Yeah, he he can really hit him. They they say you know he it's always they always talk about the Anderson Spinebuster. I almost want to say that his DDT looks even better than his farm his Spinebuster. So yes, the winners are Ric Flair and Art Anderson. Okay, I rated this match yeah. three stars. Okay, I went uh, two and three quarters, which is still the best match of the night for me. Yeah, I was very entertained by the match, and the fans were. Highly, highly into the match, which obviously helps me out, helps bump up my ratings. And the fans were into the high spots and the comebacks of the of the of the match. And to me, it it made the match a hell of a lot better. And and I felt like Anderson and Flair were able to pull out a good match out of the males. Yeah, I thought this was a perfect example of not quite a broomstick match, but a lead job using the advan- using the the high notes of the american males like they were they didn't ask him to do anything like you heard you heard me say how many times buff bagwell hit a drop kick yeah. well that's the one good thing he does let's have him hit five drop kicks he throws a nice back body drop Let's have him throw Flair up into the rafters four times on a back body drop. Do the good things. If Riggs can sell, he's selling well. Let's have him do that. You know, this is a, a perfect example of not stretching someone beyond their limits and trying to do too much. They did what they needed to, and they got a pretty darn good match out of it. One thing is definitely in Flair's limits is strutting around the ring or the outside of the ring with a glass of champagne. His this and now begins pure insanity with Ric Flair, starting with woman just straight up throwing a glass of champagne into his face on his <laughs> and his chest. I'm like, whoa, he liked that. Like that would burn the crap out of your eyes. But then he takes one, pours it on himself right over his head. <laughs> Rick Flair, the crazy Rick Flair always makes me laugh. Oh my gosh, crazy Rick Flair is one of my favorite characters in wrestling history when he's just going going insane. So we get this side promo with Mean Gene, go ahead. Yeah, by the, by the table, then Gene puts over the tag match at the Great American Bash between Anderson and Flair against Mongo and Kevin Green. Arn Anderson said that he uh, doesn't respect people who have to wear protective gear <laughs> to do their bidding. Yeah, I thought the the Arn portion of this promo was awesome. He was able to really get to the point quickly about how tough he is, about how much of a ladies' man Flair is, and just kind of the overall theme, which is that wrestlers are tougher than football players, like he said. Sky rockets in flight. 
afternoon delight. He he changed Ooh. it. He he said skyrockets at night. <laughs> Whatever. Ric Flair quotes afternoon delight. He yeah. says stuff. Says things that are outrageous. Kisses the arms of Liz and woman. <laughs> yes. It was even better because he's like. We've been inventing our own thing. And I was like, oh, inventing our own thing, huh? <laughs> and then he just quotes Afternoon Delight. And I'm like, this is why I love Ric Flair. Inventing your own thing, then quotes a 20-year-old song. <laughs> then Flair said that Deborah belongs to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like- I use some unsavory language talking about what Flair was talking about here. <laughs> Then Liz said that Flair wants, Flair gets what he wants. Yep. Then Flair said that uh, he, it's the oh that he isn't Liz's and woman's sugar daddy. Then Gene cuts him off. Well, he's yeah, he was cutting him off, but he's like, I'm not their sugar daddy, but Randy Savage because of you, Liz is my sugar mama. And right <laughs> as it was like being the mic was being pulled away from his face, you could you could hear him be like, Mama. <laughs> That's funny. I love Mean Gene. Yeah, me. You know what? Like, Mean Gene, he obviously started phoning it in toward the end of WCW. But when he's on and when he's playing with good counterparts, Ric Flair, um, Hulk Hogan, he's he's one of the best. He can really add to promos because he can, you know, when he's selling the disgust of Ric Flair talking about, you know, working at Deborah McMichael or when he can sell the, like, intensity of a Hulk Hogan promo, it can really put it over the top and it can really add it add to it. Um, he's he can be a really underrated performer in his own right. Yeah, and I feel like uh, me and Gene can also help, you know, guide the interview and help bring, sure. bring up the worst interviewees too, and help lead him into a, at least an acceptable promo. Yep, yep. If he's on, he can really guide them, and that you know that's really kind of a it's it's a really kind of underrated role because it seems like in recent years. WWE is just kind of thrown out either to steal a Scott Hall line, either a Ken doll looking guy or the next kind of hot gal um, without really knowing if they have the skill to do it. And they're kind of just a microphone stand. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they aren't doing the things that Mean Gene did and they don't have the skill that he did. I think I guess probably the closest we've gotten to a good one. Um, I'm gonna say Kevin Kelly, even though he's he's lampooned a little bit for his color commentary work or I guess like announcer work. I think his backstage announcing was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Tying it back in with the interview, do you have any more notes from the Arn Anderson Ric Flair promo? Not a, no, not in that one. Okay. We get a commercial bumper building up Mongo training for the Great American Bash. I had a lot of notes about this. But. Okay, go ahead. After you take a swig of Mountain Dew and go ahead. Okay. So we got Mongo and Green in the in the gym here. Um, my first note is that Mongo's doing calf raisers, like 
really gonna gonna make sure your calves are in the in the best condition there mango all right whatever um then he was doing these like bent arm rows and he's going flare 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 with every rep (laughs) i love it um yeah just some working out showing different lifts and stuff um you can tell that green is still an athlete while mongo's maybe out of it a little bit just from how much weight they're doing and what they're doing like mongo you know just doing like calf raisers while uh green is actually doing like some legit lifts like the you know a front pull down there um and they they end by quoting hogan with a nice what you're gonna do yes yeah then yeah there's yeah commercial bumper build up mongo and green from the great american bastion we come back from a commercial and Tony sends it to a video package. I assume that's what you were talking about. Yep, that's what I was talking about. Then we have Steve Dahl against the Mauler with <laughs> Colonel Robert Parker. Yeah, right on. And I feel bad, Mr. Beverly Hills. Why is that? I know when, during our Death of WCW series, you told me who the Mauler was. Yes. And I don't remember who he is. You already forgot it? Yes. Wow. I know Steve, in my notes, I put down Steve Dahl. Now it looks like one of the Heavenly Bodies. No. No? Not not Heavenly Body. Well done. That's what I meant. I don't know why I put down Heavenly Body. That's all right. Well done. He's, I don't know. I never knew which one was well and which one was done, but he, he was he was that. Okay. Then I put down the Mahler. Does it look like anything like the guy Mr. Beverly Hills told me he is? The Mahler is Mike Enos. And, okay, yes. Do you know who Mike Enos is? <laughs> Thank you for catching me on that. No, I don't. Okay, Mike Enos was uh, Bo Be- Beverly. <laughs> I just find that funny since I thought Steve don't look like one of the Heavenly Bodies. <laughs> Neither of them were the Heavenly Bodies. Whatever. The Bever- Beverly Brothers. Whatever. I know I know we usually say Beverly Bodies and that probably threw you off. Yes. No yeah. No uh Mikey this was one of the Beverly brothers with his longtime partner Wayne Bloom. Uh Mikey just started up in our area. He was an AWA guy kind of in the last years of the AWA with the uh, um tag team called the Destruction Crew, which uh he and Wayne Bloom were. They dressed as construction workers. Um yeah, they, they got a brief cup of coffee in WCW after the AWA collapsed before moving on to the WWF as the Beverly Bodies. Um, I Or no, Beverly Brothers. I did it there. Uh, <laughs> they, what were your thoughts on the Beverly Brothers as a team? I will say I don't have much of a memory. Not many. Okay. So, sorry about that. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I thought they were okay. They, I think... They kind of were in that level of where they never got a championship. Think of it. Did the genius manage them? Yes, they, yes, he did. Didn't, uh-huh. didn't one or two of them have a mustache? Mike oh. Enos did. Mike okay. Enos did. Uh, did they come up with, like, capes? Yes. Okay, uh-huh. I vaguely remember them. I felt like they were uh, vanilla. Yeah, they were sure. plain and... I'll say I feel like the genius was more over than they were. Oh, sure. Definitely. They got lumped in a lot. A lot of pay-per-view matches with the Bushwhackers. They were, they were in that Bushwhacker level where they would 
be the fools that uh, Butch and Luke would, you know, lick and such. So lick and such. I like that. <laughs> so they, so I mean, like, I think in the long run, like memory isn't going to be the best to Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom, but I think um, they're probably better than, than what memory would do for them. So. And just in case if that came through in the recording, everybody, Mr. Beverly Hills moved the microphone in, in a camera down to his, from his face, down to his belly, back to his face. This is I had to get a pen because I'm writing something down. And I noted that, you know, David Penzer was our ring announcer. We mentioned Was that. he? Okay. And we mentioned that during our Death of WCW wrap-up series. I guess I I enjoyed David Penzer, even though we can't really barely hear him on the TV anyway. <laughs> yeah, I never know when it's Dave Penzer and when it's Gary Michael Capetta, so I just, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know the difference. So, yeah. you do that to start sure. match? So, yeah, like you said, Mahler's with Colonel Parker, but he could have been with anybody. Colonel Parker didn't really do much on this one. Um, he's wearing chaps, which I thought was a little strange. Which is, um, which I kind of, which I kind of remember with this match, which we'll discuss here at the end of the match. Cause I just was wondering like, well, why chaps? Yeah. Like, was he a cowboy or was he like into leather? Like in the bedroom or, like, why he was wearing chaps. I didn't know. So, anyways, Mahler, Mahler I, you could tell that Mahler is really like, this is my chance. I know what's coming later. I know that people are going to watch this match, so I'm going to make a freaking impression because he is going balls to the wall. He hits a big boot. He hits a huge overhead belly-to-belly on uh, doll. He's hitting just some straight headbutts to him. Think of it um, during this time. I or during the headbutts that I noticed noted that the fans were chanting something at him, and he looks at the fans for a while. Do you catch what the fans are chanting? Nope, didn't catch that one. Okay. Can't say I did. Can't I, say I didn't I did. either. I just thought I'll ask you if you caught <laughs> it or not. Right on. Um, Mahler took Doll up to the top rope and hit a top rope fallaway slam. Yeah, and I just wrote, whoa. I, I wrote down impressive, and that must be hard to do. Uh, yeah, because you're just straight up throwing him, right? Like, you you can't really get much help when someone is cradled in your arms. You and just... Plus, <laughs> and you got to balance on the ropes, too. Right, yep. Yeah. yeah. Um... Let's see. Well, I don't. Right around that time, I know I noted that Zabisco said that he looked at the, looked at the eye of the guys, referring to Mauler. <laughs> yes, and, he, and you can see the soul that is. You can see what the soul is like. <laughs> then right then, Tony Schiavone yeah. interrupts him to talk about the Arn Anderson, Ric Flair versus Mongo and Green match. Okay, this is a perfect chance for me to say this. I got really frustrated with how much the commentators were talking about other matches. That, that was definitely a WCW thing, but I yeah. totally agree. I feel like the WWE announcers nowadays were a lot are a lot like the are they WCW like that? announcers? Yeah, that was that was by the I think by well 
I would say by the end of the first hour and then by the end of the second hour, like both both sets really started to grate on me. I'm like, come on, like can we just talk about this match just a second? Yeah. You know? So that was that was really frustrating me. At this point I did note that um they were talking about that Steve Dahl was in the cruiserweight title tournament. I'm like, <laughs> Steve Dahl is one of the best cruiserweights in the world you can get. <laughs> you can tell this is definitely like the fledgling cruiserweight division. They haven't so much brought in the the luchadors yet. You they laugh. have Rey Mysterio they've talked about. but You laugh at that. I also laugh when Shivani... Uh, mentions that Steve Dahl is a youngster. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good one. <laughs> I put after I took that note that I wrote down, and I quote myself, "Okay, Tony." I wonder how old he was. I'm gonna look up because he had been wrestling since like the mid '80s. He wrestled in Portland and in Memphis. Like Steve Dahl, not that's not why, young at all. That's why I mentioned, you know, I, that's why I didn't mention that, that Shimani called called Dahl a youngster. Like, yeah, I remember, you know, <laughs> us talking about, you know, the Mahler and Dahl and how they've been around for a while before too. So, like, okay, Tony, he was thirty five years old at the time. Youngster <laughs> Steve Dahl was. Yes. So we yes. go go to a commercial break, and we come back from a commercial break. I'll let you continue or talk about what happened after the commercial okay. break. Okay, well, I don't have a... Yeah, the, I don't, I'm not sure where we are in the commercial break, but um, Mahler's just, you know, kind of working on Dahl. Just, he's, he's definitely in control of this match. And in the distance, we see a Canadian tuxedo and a mullet walking down the stairs. Okay. Uh, I'll say, you know, with that, the match... Ends in a no contest. Because? Because let's play the first promo. We'll put it in right here. What, what the hell what, is going what? on here? But the mall, well, he just got reversed right there. The mauler runs him down. What are you talking about? Look, look here. Well, what's what the hell? Wait a minute. Give me a mic. What was that? I have no idea. Hey. Wait a minute. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm saying. You people. What's with him? You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where? is Billionaire Ted. Where is the Nacho Man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want, whenever I want. And where, oh where, is Scheme Gene. Cause I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll look-alike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for billionaire Ted, 
for the Nacho Man and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. Fans, I, what about the match? I don't know what to say. Randy Anderson's coming. Randy? Randy, what's going on here? What about the match, Randy? What, what, what's going The match is, match, fans, we got to go to a break. I, the match left. I have no idea what to say. Stay with us. Sweet. You guys just heard what happened at the end of the match. Some guy, like as Mr. Beverly Hill said, in a Canadian tuxedo came down. <laughs> Tony Giovanni was questioning Randy Anderson what happened to the match. Larry Zabisco said that the match left Mr. Beverly Hills. We heard Scott Hall's way his re-debut into WCW. Right. What? He looks a lot different than when he left. Yes. He looks a lot different when he had a big old thick mustache back Yes, in the he day. did. He did. Well, that was back when he was like Gator Scott Hall. Yeah. <laughs> when he was the Diamond Stud, he looked a little more like this, but he was freaking jacked when he was the Diamond Stud. Um, hey, you people, you know who I am, but you don't know why I'm here. Yeah. Where is Billionaire Ted? Where is the Nacho Man? The Nacho Man. Oh, yeah. I I loved how he always said Nacho Man, and he put his finger up in the air like Macho Man did a couple times. It yeah. was fantastic. That punk can't get into the building. <laughs> yep. Me, I go where I want, whenever I want. And where, oh, where is Scheme Gene? Yep. Because I got a scoop You know we just you. heard this, right? Yeah, I know. I I just like the opening lines of that promo. Fair enough, fair enough. What? I thought this this uh, promo was just tremendous, just so good. There's a reason why this is remembered so well, and why this NWO um angle was so awesome. It got off to such a great start. You know, this is so good. The first shots fired are always the most important, and it was just fantastic. I noted before that I am a subscriber to the MLW VIP podcast, and MSL has Kevin Sullivan on going through the Nitros. Right. And a few weeks back, the you know got to this episode of Nitro and all that, and, and MSL asked Kevin Sullivan why... Why is Scott Hall first? Since, you know, in the WWF, Kevin Nash was a bigger deal. Sure. We all, whilst we all know Kevin Nash would be coming in a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Kevin Sullivan well, said this is that... This is going to be good. Kevin Sullivan said that Scott Hall debuted first because they signed Scott Hall to a contract first. Oh, Scott okay. Hall's contract started out, you know... Yeah, started out before Kevin Nash's, which is why they started... had. Hall come out first, and because MSL was asking, you know, why not start out with the uh, former WWF champion first, then the mid Carter, then after you know, Kevin Sullivan mentioned that MSL said uh, that makes sense. Anyways, it makes more sense having the mid Carter come out first, than you know, say you know he has a big surprise in yeah. being a former WWF champion. 
Right. And I mean, like, Razor Ramon was a really big star. Like, he never was champion, but I'm sure in, you know, 1994 through 1996, if you would say top four WWF stars, he'd probably always be mentioned. And yeah, he was always one of the, you know, like number two or number three baby mm-hmm. face yes. during that time. Right, exactly. And I one thing I totally really agree. appreciated about, I guess, before we talk more about the uh, more about the promo, I really liked at the end where you know I added with the clip on Tony, you know how Tony sold it greatly in asking the you know, referee Randy Anderson, like Randy, what what's going on? What about the match that oh. he inter- he interrupted? You know, and all that. Okay, I appreciate that you liked that. I hated that. Why? <laughs> because I feel like instead of selling the promo, instead of selling why is he here, Tony's like, what happened to the mauler? What's with the match? And I'm like, come on, like, this is more important than the mauler. And I don't know, I get that, like, we're off the script or whatever, but I ugh, I don't know. I, I just didn't really like I it. I can see you, see you where you uh, come from. Yeah, uh, then we but I can a, I can see where you I can see where you come from, where like he's so thrown asunder that like the only like he's a company man whatever the only thing I can do is like we're off the format what's on the format so I get why you'd like that I that just isn't really my style yeah I guess I enjoyed it because yeah you can tell by Tony's voice that he was thrown thrown off by this interruption sure then we go to a commercial then we come back and. Tony talks more about the second hour. Okay. And Tony also talks about says that Nitro is known for surprises. Mm-hmm. We go to another commercial break. We come back with our next match. Yes, Star- we do. Sergeant Craig Pittman with Teddy Long playa. Take fat on- Teddy Long. This is not regular Teddy Long. This is fat Teddy Long. Take on Diamond <laughs> Dallas Page. Yes, who's got the battle bowl ring and a cigar? And I wanted to mention. <laughs> I forgot how bright DDP's green tights were. <laughs> he was really, really neon. Yes, he was. And it made me laugh that Larry Zbysko mentions that Diamond Dallas Page is the new American dream. Yeah, he was. He kept saying, and this is another line that Larry was really trying to get over. He kept saying, from the gutter to the penthouse. He said it like four times during this match. Really yeah, that, during that, yeah, Diamond Dallas Page's storyline was that he was broke and somebody <laughs> gave him a fortune of money and he is where he's at. Right. So the bell rings and DDP makes fun of Pittman by doing some push-ups. Then Pittman <laughs> does some one-arm push-ups and DDP tried to attack him. And I kick it to you for the review. Yep, as he tried to kick him... Pittman scooted out of the way, kicked kicked DDP a couple times, then locked him up on the mat. Uh, DD, I liked. What's your thoughts on Craig Pitbull Pittman here? He gets in this match. He, I felt like he helped made DDP a little bit better. Sure, I I enjoyed him. He, do I want to see like Craig Pittman in maybe the U.S. title picture? Not so much. Maybe challenging for the TV title once in a great while, depending on who the who the opponent is or who the champion is. Yeah, mm-hmm. I understand that. You know, he he isn't like to me. He isn't like a 
stereotypical WWF jobber, so to say, that Pittman... In that jobber to the stars yeah. range. Yeah, I guess he's more... I guess he's a little bit more than... Yeah, I... Um, Oh, uh, Mr. Dutch Birdie dude that made event the first Saturday night's main event against Junkyard Dog that the Duke of Dorchester. Oh, he's oh he's higher. I'd say he's higher than Duke of Dorchester. Yeah, that's yeah. He's I'd not, say he's he's more of like the Barry Harwoods. I'd say even higher than that. I'd say he's more in like the. I dare say like Coco Beware. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Range like when he comes out, you go. Oh, he might want a match. Maybe not in 1996. Um, I was thinking though, I like him a lot better as a heel. I think the like marine drill instructor gimmick plays a lot better as, as a, a as a bad guy than as a good guy, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. What I I guess I didn't you know what I didn't like is I didn't really see the purpose of Teddy Long there. True, I, and we'll get we'll get to it here in the finish. But he didn't really serve a purpose at all. Okay, yeah. Well, if I remember correctly from Kevin Sullivan from the MLW VIP podcast, that during that time Pittman's storyline was he was trying to find a manager. Oh, okay. And he was, I think, pretty losing a bunch of matches up to finally finding Teddy Long as his manager. If I, yeah, remember, I, if, I, if I remember fully from the Sullivan podcast. Sure, that makes to, sense. To try, to try to explain more about why Teddy Longy is with Pittman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just didn't think that. But, you know, it's always tough when good guys have managers. Like, a, a face manager is hard to get over, and it's hard to make popular. Yeah. You know, I, I can count on less than one hand successful good guy managers yeah. right yeah i think it kind of begins and ends with miss elizabeth yeah i and i can't think of many more than that yeah i've been stumped about that too yeah right but one thing i guess i am back with the match one thing i sure. appreciated one of the notes i took down was that zabisco or ddp caught pitman off the top rope and zabisco put put ddp over with that and saying that you should make the ring your friend and use the ring to your advantage. Yeah, and stuff good. like that is one thing I appreciate about former wrestlers turning sure. color commentators, kind of giving like the ring psychology aspect to the viewers at home on why such like that is very important. Right, I, I would agree with you. That that is the advantage of having a former wrestler. And I feel like. Um, when we have former wrestlers as commentators, they don't do that enough. Like I can, I can't think of the last time Jerry Lawler referenced like ring psychology, or even JBL, you know, or JBL or Booker T or any of the guys that they've used, you know. Which is they sad. just start like, kind of like talking heads, but, but you know, whatever. Yeah, obviously we we're talking more about other things in this match. So I guess let's just shoot <laughs> to the finish. Yeah, maybe we, maybe for a reason, right? Yeah. Um. Let's just yeah, there there was kind of a cool moment where uh, Pittman he headbutted DDP so hard that DDP like sk- staggered and then he fell out the ropes and he <laughs> fell into the, just this pile of cords <laughs> and he was tangled in these cords. He looked like a monster of some sort. Um, this this yeah. goofy DDP always makes me laugh. Going back and watching, <laughs> he he was goofy. You're right. Um, 
Let's see here. So, yeah, the end. So Pipple was able to hook in kind of, they were saying, a modified version of the Code Red, which is a, his finisher, which is a, a form of an arm bar here. Uh, Teddy, like, walks over, like, kind of gets up on the deal himself, and then DDP grabs him, pushes uh, Teddy out to the railing, uh, Pimmon checks on him, I guess because he's a nice guy, and when he's turned around, he's hit by the diamond cutter and put so down yeah, three. Then winners, Damon Dallas Page, I rated this match one half of a star. Yeah, I, I went I went a star and a half, and that's probably way too high. Yeah, I felt like it was <laughs> alright in the match. It was not good. The crowd wasn't too involved with the match. Other than that, it was okay. You know, average match for newer guys, and all that fun jazz. And and I wanted to mention that I do not like the WWE version of DDP's early days theme song. Yeah, this like dub over theme song is really bad. <laughs> it was like a version of a different Nirvana song, not Smells Like Teen Spirit. Yeah. Then Tony sends us to a video package of Macho Man being a nut. And yes, I got the audio of that video package. Oh, cool. And let's play it. Right here, Gorilla. <laughs> Here's a look at one nutty macho man, Randy Savage. Randy Savage, or crazy man, Randy Savage. Quite simply, he can no longer control himself. Mental anguish is dying. Other wrestlers can't stop him. Macho Man is lost, as Mr. Beverly Hills said to me when we were watching that clip. You guys heard that clip. Macho Man being a nut is, is always something that's entertaining. And, you know what, like mentioned before, I listened to Kevin Sullivan's hell of a deal on MLW.com. I believe that's their website. And one of the things that, that uh, Kevin Sullivan wanted to do with Macho Man was have him 
kind of be like, in a way, it's a, a early days version of Stone Cold Steve Austin. You know, kind of having the... Oh, that, okay. Loose cannon type. Yeah, being there, the loose cannon, the, the rebel the rebel soul that is Macho Man. And he even pitched to Macho Man and, and shaving his head bald, or if not cutting his hair, or having an extreme look really? to Macho Man to change up his character. But, you know, Macho Man is very sensitive about his hair, just like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> So do you I can totally expl- see it. Macho Man was like notoriously um, paranoid. Yeah. So kind of explain a little bit about what's going on with the storyline. You know, besides Macho being a nut, he was elbow dropping referees, jumping over referees to land a Macho elbow. And yeah, he elbowed the Macho. He did one to the referee. Then we also hear the giant cutting a probe into the camera. You know, uh, oh, to build up okay. his match, to build up his match in hour two, and you also hear a little bit about uh, Hulk or Hulk Hogan's Ben. Hey, you know, Are you sure two. we got a giant promo? We got a promo from the Shark. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to more exciting action on Monday Nitro live for two solid hours. We're back in the locker room area. I'm with Shark. Now I thought you've been with the Dungeon of Doom, but apparently you're not. Uh, Sharing a locker room with these gentlemen any yeah. longer. All of a sudden, Jimmy Hart and the Taskmaster, real buddy buddy, huh? Jimmy Hart brings a man in, slumbery, and it makes me lose the match. I'm not supposed to be upset. I'm in Jimmy Hart's face. The giant comes, choke slams me. All of a sudden, Taskmaster says, I'm not in the dungeon anymore. Wait a minute, has he officially thrown you out of the he dungeon? He threw me out. And Sullivan, tonight, I'm going to hurt you. I am going to win the World Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. Tonight, I'm beating the Giant. And then I might eat Jimmy Hart off for dessert. All right, I've seen you upset before, Shark, but this is a little uh, atypical, I have to say, because all of a sudden now... It's the Giant, the WCW Heavyweight title, and you're going to take a a crack at Jimmy Hart? All of a sudden, the Giant's the big man on campus. I'm the one that almost ended Hulkamania. Now I'm going to end the Giant. And speaking of Hulkamania, he has been hobnobbing with some of the tops in sports and entertainment. We've missed him here at World Championship Wrestling, but I want you to take a look at some of the celebrities Hulk Hogan's been spending time with lately. more than just the greatest champion in history. He's one of the most popular and recognized athletes in the world. Through the years, many from other walks of life have become his fans. When the Hulkster first arrived at WCW, he called on his longtime friend, boxer and TV star, George Foreman, to help him train. You got that, you can be, you can take my shots, you can take anybody's shots, the man is ready. And it was NBA superstar Shaquille O'Neal who was with him as he first won the WCW World title. At the Bash at the Beach last July, Dennis Rodman of the Chicago Bulls stood by Hogan during the fierce cage match. And Kevin Green, right before heading to the Super Bowl to meet the Cowboys, helped Hogan and Savage at the Clash of the Champions in Las Vegas. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Even the 
devotes much of his free time to charities. Recently, he and boxing great Sugar Ray Leonard helped Shaquille O'Neal raise money for a worthy cause at Universal Studios Florida. Hulkamania's back, and don't forget it. You're Hulkamaniacs. Hulk Hogan's back on a roll in the WCW, and all I got to say is Sugar Ray's the best there ever was. And listen to this. Hulk is back to stay. Listen. An international star. Hogan starred in the weekly television action series Thunder in Paradise and has been in the immensely popular series Baywatch. I'm in heaven. <laughs> he has starred in many motion pictures, including Mr. Nanny and Suburban Commando. Proof that not only does Hulkamania run wild in world championship wrestling, but in the entire sports and entertainment world as well. Hey, we got to talk about that, man. Well, the shark's go ahead. beard. Yeah. The shark's beard. Got it. But Mr. Beverly Hills, I am surprised you don't have your beard painted like the shark. Yep. Looks Teeth like on his beard. beard. White with the black on his beard. I guess I should just ask you now. Do you think the shark painted his beard every night? Or do you think John Tenta was walking around on a day-to-day basis with his beard painted like that? I hope he paints his beard every night. Because could you imagine like being at the airport and here comes John Tenta with a, with a shark tooth beard? I was going to say, that would be a pain that we're going to keep dying that all the, you know, and all that. We'll have to walk around with that. Yeah? Well, what would be worse, having to do it every day or walking around with your beard painted like teeth? I guess just that gimmick sucks. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. You got it. So talk about, you know, the... No, nope, got to talk about his promo now. Okay, go Sorry. ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So Shark's really mad about Jimmy Hart bringing in the giant into the Dungeon of Doom and choke slamming him. Um, and he's he's also very upset that he got thrown out of the Dungeon of Doom. Uh, he <laughs> finishes this promo in a great way, saying, I'm going to win the World Championship Wrestling Heavyweight <laughs> Wrestling Belt, and then I'm gonna eat Jimmy Hart for dessert. Yes, always Amazing. great. He's gonna eat Jimmy Hart. Love it. Then, yeah, then the pyro goes off for hour two, and Eric Bischoff welcomes us to the second half of Monday Nitro. Bobby right Heenan is sitting with him at the where I put on the Nitro announcers table or announcer stage up by the ramp. And they go over the Arn Anderson, Ric Flair versus Mongo and Green match at the Great American Bash. And they somewhat talk a little bit about the running that we saw earlier in the night. Yeah, he says he won't dignify Hall's appearance. Heenan says that Mongo and Green are in a hotel room with the dresser up against the door. And they're hiding under the bed with Pepe. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> then we get the next match, which... Mr. Beverly Hills, okay. I had to open up the Dusty Roads mellow y'all. What is this next match, Mr. Beverly Hills? Well, I was doing the knockoff Jaws music, which I thought was really good. We get our WCW Championship match featuring the Shark, who is from Tsunami from Tsunami. I am happy what you're going hell? off on that because I want to know where is Tsunami at? 
Is, it is he from? Is he from every tsunami? Is he from one specific tsunami? I don't know. Is he? I wonder if tsunami is near Dudleyville, near <laughs> Parts Unknown. Yeah, right. I think it's right next to Parts Unknown. And while we're drinking, I note, noted, "Holy crap! The giant is super skinny back then and can wear yes. a belt around his waist." To me, a skinny giant is scarier than a current big show. Yeah, he was looking tremendous. He was in great shape. Yeah, so Shark is challenging the giant who is with the Strapmaster Jimmy Hart. Yes. If you remember from the Yapapai. And the shark tries to attack the giant from behind. Not too much success. Yes, he starts out with some punches and a shoulder block, but he just can't move the giant. And the giant counters with one headbutt, and the shark backs off. Yeah, and then he hit him with a clothesline, and he stood on him. <laughs> yes. He stood right on the on the shark's tummy. That Maybe that's where the uh, tsunami came from. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> that didn't sound like a tsunami. That was that was like kind of like a just like a rainstorm, if you will. A tsunami yeah. would be like a. Think of it. We were just wondering where the tsunami, where tsunami is at. Is it also close to Pity City? Probably okay. Nastyville. No, Nastyville. Whatever. <laughs> um. Yeah. So, Shark was able to fight back a little bit. He tried to slam the giant, got him off his feet. But Giant slammed him. Um, as Giant's in control here, I'm reminded of a story that John Tenta told. Uh, and actually, uh, R.D. Reynolds, past guest, future guest, <laughs> we'll see. Um, he he actually told this story in the WrestleCrap book, and it's a really good story. So... John Tenta's got this tattoo on his left shoulder, right? And it's this huge, like, colorful, you know, shark scene, right? Um, he didn't always have that. He had a tiger, okay? Um, which I recall because it was on my little action figure, which is pretty cool that they had it on the on the action figure. But So he got that because he played football at... Uh, Louisiana State University, which is the Tigers, right? So he had this tattoo. And when he came to WCW, uh, first he was obviously Avalanche, but then they wanted him to be the Shark. And they go, can't have a Tiger tattoo, man. You got to have a Shark tattoo. So they make him get this tattoo of a Shark, right? This huge tattoo covering up something that has like a pretty big importance to him this tiger right because that's where he went to college so they cover it up with this giant shark tattoo and here he is he's the shark for less than six months and he's got to live with this big ass shark tattoo for the rest of his life that he had no reason to get i don't know why they just couldn't give him a like a wrestling or someone changed his attire that they can put sleeves on his attire to help cover that up cover that up if it was such a big deal in general, right? Like if it is such a big deal, just put a sleeve on it. But I, I just thought about that because I thought like he's the shark for so such a short amount of time uh, that it's just kind of unfortunate. But it, but it really kind of sh- and um, the reason I think I guess we can ask him. But the reason why RD I think included that was just to show kind of how fickle 
WCW was in its booking. Like, we need you to change the tattoo. And then, like, a month later, you're not going to be the shark anymore. It's like, well, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah, why? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So. One thing I was impressed by was the shark jumped off the second rope, hit a double axe mash to the giant. Heck, yeah. Man, Tenta was super athletic. I got a question for you. Yes. How old do you think the shark is right here? Oh, man. The, the skullet he rocked in the WWF, and he looked old then. I want to say he was probably in the mid to late 30s to early 40s range, and if I had to pick an age, maybe 38. The shark was 32 years old at this Holy point. Holy crap. <laughs> like I said, Isn't that amazing? Like I said, the skullet he rocked in the WWF, and he looked any skullet looks makes any person look older than what they actually are. I was floored when I looked. I just wanted to know how old he was. He's thirty-two. Sadly, John Tenta died at age forty-two. I thought he was a lot Wait. older. Yeah, he was only forty-two when what, he passed away from cancer. Oh, cancer! Yeah, I was just gonna ask yep. what he passed away from. And th- yeah, thankfully he didn't pass away because uh, health reasons. Since he's always been a big boy. Yeah, yep. It was yeah. It wasn't from uh, from weight related stuff. He yep. He got cancer sadly. Yeah, but he was only thirty-two. I was like, wow, because I thought you know I always obviously I don't know if you know or not. After his days in. WCW, he did go back to the WWF and performed oh, as, Gol- as Golga. I was just going to say that. Yep. I, I remember finding out who Golga was. And I was surprised that he was Earthquake, you know, the shark and all that. And I each time I remember that, I forget about it again. And each time I find out about <laughs> it, I always it always surprises me. Right. And I was, I was always like, wow, I'm surprised they took him back because he was so old. Come to find out he was not. He was in his mid-30s. So That's it was too funny. It was it was very strange uh, to figure that out. But anyways, let's finish out this match here. Because um, yeah, you said giant body slam shark with Egas, right? Yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. Because I I wanted to make sure about that because when you were talking about the shark, I noted you know I was going through my notes and I noted that the crowd seemed to pop a little bit for the giant body slam and the shark, and the announcers even put that over as a feat. Right on, yeah, and it, it did enjoy. look really good. Um, so Giant is in control. Shark does fight back with a couple little eye gouges, but we finish here. Giant tries for a charge. Shark did get his boot up, but he's distracted by the Strapmaster Jimmy Hart and eats a big choke slam for the three. So the winner is the Giant. Still are reigning and defending World Championship. Wrestling's world heavyweight champion. <laughs> I read this match one and three four star. I went two. Okay, because I I read that ready that because of the awesome one armed chokeslam spot for the giant to earthquake and also you know earthquake jumping up, uh, also helping out with the giant with that, but looking making the giant look super strong. Right, and I mean like it was it was a fairly straightforward simple match. Um, between these two guys, but it was good for what it was. Yeah. Okay, so post-match here. Big Bubba, the biggest big of the Bubbers Bubba. came down. Yeah, Big with Bubba your, comes out. With a pair of scissors. Looking, yeah, looking like a biker reject of some sort. Yeah. And, um... Make 
sharks uh, receding hairline. Uh, <laughs> give, more give receding. It, I'm just trying to figure out wording. Giving the sharks hairline more hard times. <laughs> sure. Yeah, and he uh, cuts it first first with the scissors, and I was like, oh, that's unfortunate. Then he, yeah. then he gets out the clippers, and he goes all the way. And he only cuts half his hair, though. Yes, he does only eat half. Uh, eat? <laughs> I just said he ate half his hair. <laughs> no, it does not get weird. We don't have Big Bubba eating half of John Tenda's hair. <laughs> he just, he just, he, he, he just cuts it off. And something that I laughed at. Oh, oh, Bishop put over how disrespectful that is. To come down, <laughs> attack a man when he's down, and cut his hair. And eat it? Yes. Do you want oh. some hairy cookies, Gorilla? Oh, gross. That's what I said, too, Gorilla. Oh, my lord. Okay. We see a commercial break slideshow with Max and Lux Luger telling us that there'll be in a match coming up next. Okay. Come, come back from a commercial break, and Bishop puts over that that this invader from the north might be back to see to in all that to kind of expand on a challenge that he has. Mm-hmm. So we go to our next match for the World Championship Wrestling's World Television Championship. Max <laughs> taking on the champion Lux Luger and Mr. Beverly Hills. Who is this character named Max? Yeah, I didn't know a lot about Max here. I just looked him up. Um, apparently, he wrestled also as the name Max Muscle a lot. He was DDP's bodyguard for a while. He apparently joined the Dungeon of Doom at some point. Um, he is most notable, most notable for just being a big jacked up dude. Okay, I know I put down in my notes that Bischoff puts over Max's hair. I don't know exactly <laughs> what he, I don't know what exactly what that he said, but Bobby then proclaims, "Yeah, if you're going to the chair." He's he's like, "That's a nice looking haircut on Max." And then and that's when Bobby said, "Yeah, if you're going to the chair." Well, I always love Bobby's comments. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was such a breath of fresh air to get Bobby after getting uh, Zabisco for an hour. It was yeah. like, that, this is so different. Granted, uh, Shivani was pretty decent in the first hour, but I kind of, as we talked about earlier in the broadcast, that I enjoyed kind of the switch of the two teams to kind of have each play-by-play on each color guy seem fresh. Right, and I mean, I would say, like, if we, if I could make my own perfect, like I, like I asked you at the beginning... If we were forced to have just one, I would want Bobby and Tony. Yeah, same here. Then, but I mean, I think that's an easy. easy. I think that's an easy answer. Yeah. yeah. Then, uh, what's your thoughts on the pop that Luger got when he came out? I, I guess recall it was it a big one. It was. I notable since I noted okay. that. You wrote I, it down. I, yeah. I guess then again, I wanted to mention that since again, I. You know, I listen to Kevin Sullivan's podcast over at MLW.com and all that. And and during this time that Sullivan was booking WCW, Nitro, and and Luger had a unique kind of character, he was pretty much playing a tweeter, depending on who who he's with. At this time, he was uh, tag team champions with Stan. And depending on, and I think also at the time, 
right around this time, uh, Luger was also part of, of the Dungeon of Doom. At least he was aligned with Jimmy Hart. So, first, depending on who Luger's against or he is with, he's either playing a heel or he's playing a face. So I think that's probably why I noted that the pop that Luger got. See, you know how I hate the term tweener, yes? Yeah. I I see Luger is playing a, just a heel. And um, Sting is dumb enough to think that he's his friend. And the fans are dumb enough to cheer for him. I think he, I think he's just straight up a heel and everybody's cheering him, which yeah. that's fine. But that's just that's my view of like the heel face dynamics. I don't think he's doing anything particularly fan friendly. I guess like the torture act can be seen as kind of like a fan friendly move. But to the most part, I think he's just being a heel. Yeah. And what's your thoughts on the TV title design? Because I kind of liked it. I you know what I didn't didn't even look at it. Okay. Then Lux Luger is challenging the Giant for the WCW title at the Great American Bash. Yes. He would become like a super title holder. He's yeah. the TV champion. He's one half of the tag team champions. And he could become the world champion as well. Holy crap. And Do I, it, Luger. And I want to say, Lux Luger and Stan have no chance in hell on taking the tag team titles on Native and Status Radio off of <laughs> the Beverly Bodies. <laughs> Yes. So I'll kick it to you for the match, Mr. Beverly Hills. Okay, well, you know, overall, we got Luger, who in 96 is okay, but not the greatest. You know, his his best days are long past. He's definitely just kind of going through the motions here. And we got Max, who is just a, a maximum jacked up freak, uh, but not a very good wrestler. Um, and so it's really just kind of these two big bruisers just not doing a lot. Um, you know, we got Max just trying to show off his strength. He's throwing Luger into the corner, and Luger is kind of impressed. He's kind of brushed himself off there. Um, a lot of control, actually, from Max here, which I was super surprised about. He knocked Luger down with a shoulder block. Um he hit a big power slam on Luger after Luger had hit him with a couple uh, clotheslines. Um, yeah, yeah, just a lot of... I noted that the seemed like when Max had the advantage, the crowd could not care much about sure. But when Yeah, when he had control, which was what, why I, I guess I emailed you before the show kind of asking you about Max because I was... Cons- cons- was Wondering who he was, and obviously, it seemed like your the notebook you just tossed had more charisma than Max. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. But yeah, Max like controlled this whole mu- whole uh, match. He hit a sidewalk slam. Um, he was firmly in control, but he just couldn't keep Luger down to pin him. Um, then Luger. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just want to mention towards the end of the match. Did you notice? Uh, well, I I swore. That Bischoff mentioned Yokozuna towards the end yeah, of the match. Yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't like, hallucinating hearing Bischoff say that. No, Luger, he was just talking about Luger's kind of um, accolades, and he's he's like, you know, I beat this, or he's beat this guy, he's beat um, Yokozuna, 
you know, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Lil, Yo, Ta- talking about how he could beat giants. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. This would have, you know, this Nitro to be, you know, during the Shawn Michaels first WWF title run. And was, I thought Yokozuna wasn't really around much during 96, especially during the summer. I think he was, I think one of the last matches he had was a free-for-all match against Steve Austin at, I think, the 96 SummerSlam. I think that would have been one of the last times we saw Yokozuna on WWF TV. So I guess Yoko was still somewhat relevant in yeah. Memorial Day 96. So I guess I was he's just curious. He's in the downswing, but he's all right. I guess I was just curious on why Bishop mentioned Yokozuna. I guess in kind of talking, you know, Yoko is still somewhat relevant in 96. Right. Well, I guess right. I'll let you continue in the match. Right on. Um, yeah, so kind of right after that reference, uh, or right as it was happening, um, Max was running in on Luger, but Luger put up his foot. Uh, he hit the bionic forearm. He then hit a power slam, and after kind of failing the first time, got uh, Max up into the torture rack for the pretty easy submission. And one before we uh, talk about the finish, I noted there were some open seats across from the hard camera side on the floor in the first section, and that kind of made me sad. I noticed those <laughs> kind of things, but yeah, Luger got got, got uh, Max up for the torture rack, and, are, and still are raining and defending. WCW World Television Champion Lex Luger. Right. And I rated this match, Mr. Beverly Hills, a Dave Meltzer's famous dud. <laughs> I went star and a quarter. Fair enough. It's like the only time. For me, I rated it a dud because the fans seemed to only care when Luger was in control of the match or had the advantage. And otherwise, I felt like this match was kind of slow and hard for me to get into. Sure. Yeah, I would agree. It was slow. It didn't have a lot going for it. These two just aren't that awesome. So Then, you know, like we mentioned earlier that Luger's also won half the WCW World Take Team Champions with Stain, and I was surprised at that. It was surprised when that was mentioned that, you know, it's like they're, you know, giving Luger a lot of hard hardware, you know, as in their titles yeah. and all that. Yep. The skiing gene came down to the ring to get, grab an interview with Lux Luger, and on June 16th, Luger will be challenging the Giant for the WCW title at the Great American Bash. Yep, and he kind of questions how he got that title shot. Since DDP was the Battle Bowl winner, and he was supposed to get the next title shot. Right. I don't make the matches, Gene. And <laughs> and Luger just wants the Giant. Yep. Because he's, he's shown getting put through Flair's VIP table. Yeah, from two weeks back on Nitro. And Luger said that he can't believe that the Giant tried to do that. You know, trying to take him out of professional wrestling. Luger said that he wants every big guy in World Championship Wrestling to prove that he can put anyone in the rumble rack. Yeah, and could you totally tell that Gene couldn't remember Max's name? He was like, just like you did with... This guy. <laughs> oh, skin gene. I was like, oh, God, come on, Gene. See, here's an example of what Gene could kind of uh, fold it in. Yeah. Then we see a slide for Bobby Walker for Brad Armstrong next. Right. And WCW Monday Night Show went to a commercial break, Mr. Beverly Hills. I think so should Mid-Event Status Radio. All right, sounds good. 
Let's catch our breath. We'll be right back after this quick break. That was a good segment that Mr. Beverly Hills and I just wrapped up with. Beverly, how can they listen to us besides how they are? Yeah, I agree. That was a good, that was a good one. Um, so they can find us on iTunes, searching us out in the, in the podcast store. Um, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, uh, soundcloud.com slash main event status radio. You can listen to us on the website, main event status I think that's everything, right? Yep, and you guys can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash radio. You guys can interact with us there or on iTunes, or not iTunes, on Twitter. Kind of close. <laughs> I am at DirtyDogMES. That's dog as in D-A-W-G. Beverly, how can they talk to you on Twitter? You can talk to me at Beverly Hills MES. And I mean, I guess you can listen to it any way you want. You could like burn it to a vinyl if you want to listen to it like on a 45. That'd be awesome. You could like, you could put it like on an eight track. I don't even know how to record eight tracks. You could like record it on a, on a tape. Uh, You could like transcribe it and read it as a book. Uh, You know, just any way you want, man or gal, whatever you want. I think my jokes will come across great in the book form. I agree. I was said that you were an old soul. What can I say, Jack? <laughs> All right, back to the show. We are back from commercial break, and Bobby Walker is on his way down to the ring. Mr. Yeah, Beverly Hills, who, besides this being Mid Event Status Radio, who is hard work Bobby Walker? Yeah, he's coming down to the ring and uh, with a knockoff Eye of the Tiger playing behind him. Yeah, I don't know. He's most notable. Bobby Walker's most notable for filing a racial discrimination suit against WCW uh, in the later years, claiming that he didn't get a good enough push and he was uh, passed over for white stars. Uh, uh, we'll talk- see in this match if he's, if that was warranted or not. Talk about that. Well, wasn't uh, F4W, or Wrestling Observer Figure 4 podcast host Carl Stern, wasn't he part of that lawsuit? He was the researcher. Okay, just wanted they to ask. The, they paid him to research. So just to tell you, in with WrestlingObserver.com, which I like of to course, plug. Why, why wouldn't we? I don't Cause know. Because we're, we're paid by that. Oh, no. Because we're associated with No. Because uh, oh. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't e- I don't know either. Anyways, um, so Harvard Bobby Walker is facing off against another youngster, <laughs> uh, Brad Armstrong, American flag Bar- Brad Armstrong here. Um, apparently, Brad Armstrong was in the finals of the cruiserweight uh, title tournament. Talk that, you mentioned about the cruiserweight division back then. To me, Brad Armstrong isn't the definition of WCW cruiserweight division, in my opinion. Exactly, and I kind of alluded to this earlier, but you can tell that this is the beginning stages of the cruiserweight division, wherein we we have, you know, Rey Mysterio there, we have Dean Malenko, but we also have guys like Steve Dahl, we have guys like Brad Armstrong, where... American wrestling was kind of like wrapping their head around what cruiserweight wrestling meant. Like, 
in the late 80s, there were light heavyweight champions. All they were were just guys that were kind of smaller, right? Like, by the late 90s, cruiserweight means something different. It means an up-tempo style. It means high-flying, all that. It seemed like WCW was trying to slowly change that definition. Yeah. Yep, they're kind of they're kind of in that transition period. And th- By the way, um, Brad Armstrong, thirty four years old. Okay, and think Young, of it, youngster Brad Armstrong. And think of it, I swore during the uh, notesters one of the notesters mentioned that hard work Bobby Walker is a WCW power plant graduate. Yep. So kind of wanted wanted to mention that because yeah, I didn't know anything about Bobby Walker other than what you just mentioned and. What they said that he was a graduate from the power plant. Yeah, yeah, they're getting a lot of. I think they're getting a lot of mainstream coverage that they mentioned about the power plant. It's you know it was one of the first kind of wrestling schools, or even more so, kind of one of the first uh, developmental territories. So, um, well, heck, yeah. Well, heck, you know, wrestling still being, I guess touched by the power plant with the big show still somewhat somewhat around a little bit so mm-hmm. yeah yep but i guess i'll kick it to you for the match right since i really don't have any notes for this okay well this match was not so good um hard work bobby walker they're really trying to push here you can tell um he worked a head scissor he worked a a good looking arm drag right into an, an arm bar but then he managed in the space of about 15 seconds to botch three things in a row before splashing Armstrong. He keep, he keeps trying to work like this um, rope walk thing, like the Undertaker can do, you know, and others have done. But he's not very good at it. He he got up there, he fell. Then he like tried it again. He kind of slipped, and then he kind of just like, just like jumped off onto Armstrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, uh, then I yeah, did note that yeah, sloppy botches by hard work, and he tried to line off monkey flip on his feet, and also didn't work out. Yes. Yep. That was, yeah. That was the first one where he tried to land on his or yeah whatever he tried to land on his feet and it didn't work. Um, Armstrong was on was in control of a lot of the match, but in, in the finish here, uh, hard work, he tried a backslide. Then he got, you know, threw Armstrong with a, a high back body before he jumped up onto the top, slipped again, and then hit a shoulder block, uh, onto Armstrong for the three. So the winner is Bobby Walker, hard work, Bobby Walker. <laughs> and I read this match, a thunderstorm because I missed the finish. Because I was watching this natural during a thunderstorm. Okay. So I missed it, but in all seriousness, I read this match at Dave Meltzer's famous dud. The fans weren't into this match. Spots were blown, and I was, which I can't really blame Walker for it. But I, I, had, I can. Well, fine. But I had no <laughs> interest in this match, and yeah, and it's like the fans weren't into this match either. So I read this match a dud. I am going to rank this, uh, what I have there. It went a little because it's a fraction. Half star. Fair enough, yeah. Okay. Then we see a, then we, we go to a commercial. We see a commercial for WCW, for WCW Magazine where the cover, well, the cover story of the month was The Giant. 
Okay. I wish I could go to newsstands and pick up that edition of WCW magazine. Yeah. Maybe uh, you can turn into Sting like the little kid did. Yes. Then we have our next match, Lord Steven Regal with Jeeves taking on Alex Wright. Right on. And I'm excited for this match. Okay. I'm excited to talk about it because I liked watching it. I should know who Jeeves was, but who... Crap. Um... His name is on the top of my tip of my tongue, but I can't think of it. He wasn't he one of wasn't he Bill Dundee? No, that's Sir William. Okay, who was Jeeves? I don't know. Okay, <laughs> it was like because I was looking at I thought it was uh, Bill Dundee too, but once I looked at his face, I'm like, that's not him. Okay, wanted to ask that. Uh, right I also wanted to ask: Was Alex Wright's character supposed to be a German nightclub dancer? Yeah, that's Wonderkind. Yeah. Okay. Wanted to ask. Sure. Yep, yep. Then, as noted, notice or as noted on the podcast, I like to uh, note different wrestlers' attires when they uh, pop out at me. Uh, that could be taken wrong. Wright is in bright green tights and Regal's tights. I thought were unique. Front and red in the front and blue in the black. <laughs> blue in the back. <laughs> and they had like a like a little flag almost looking like it said blue bloods. Yes. <laughs> then, uh, I'll kick it to you for the match. All right. So, right. To, so, okay. After they just had that match where Bobby Walker was supposed to be presented as like an awesome athlete and whatever, he failed on like four top rope moves. The first thing Alex Wright does is jump to the top rope, backflip off, land perfectly. And I go, boom. Come on, Bobby Walker. That's how you do it. Yes. Um,. Regal started off quick with some nice chain wrestling, but uh, Wright was able to fight out of it for most of the the early part of the match here and really frustrating Regal with his counters. Um, again, the announcers are not talking about this match. They're talking about, for some reason, they get on to the point that the Nasty Boys are hanging out with Dennis Rodman. And Bischoff notes that Brian Knobs said that Rodman was a ghoul, and I can't keep up with him. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically the story of the match here is that Alex Wright has an answer for everything that Regal has. Um, you know, get him in a, um, get him in a lock, and Wright is able to flip out. He'll hit him with European uppercuts, but uh, Wright fires back with his own. Just, you know, kind of a lot, just able to counter everything. Uh, and we get a baseball slide and a plancha from right to the outside, and then we go to commercial here. And the commercial was of Glacier. Glacier. Yes, it was. Glacier is coming. <laughs> Blood runs cold. Yay. Sarcasm. <laughs> and when we get back... We get a uh, a high to Dave Redica. <laughs> I thought that was so random. Eric Bischoff's like, before we get in the match again, I just want to say hi to Dave Redica. <laughs> okay. Dave Bischoff? <laughs> he's like, he's watching home. Um, so, yeah, like I said, there there's some really nice, really crisp-looking European uppercuts from both of them. Uh Regal is able to hit a drop toe hold and and work right to the mat. And while he's doing this, he uh, goes to the ref. 
I know what the rules are. <laughs> I, I like this. He said a couple times. I like this uh, smarmy heel Regal. As a, yeah. Well, yeah, Regal is always pretty much better a heel. <laughs> but yeah, I just like heel moves like that. Yeah, he's looking good. I like this match. Regal looks really good in it. And, you know, Wright can really, is holding his own in it as yeah. well. And, uh, um, according to Bischoff, uh, Alex Wright hit a, quote, standing wheel kick, unquote. Oh, I I put that somewhere. That's later. Okay, sorry. Sorry. I'm a little excited. I know, you're just jumping to your note here. Um, Regal hit a funny-looking, like, jumping double knee. He looked like a little bunny. He just, yes. like, has his head, and he goes, doink. Um, yeah, because I want to note here that right, he hits a, he does a moonsault over the top of Regal into a sunset flip, which I'm like, wow, like, that's really cool. Looking. Okay, I think in my notes I wrote down a nice dive off the top rope into a schoolboy. Yeah, kind of, yeah, that's like probably the one you're talking yeah. about. And, uh, sorry, but it was Bish- a moonsault. But Bishop seemed pretty excited for it. Sure. Um, it, yeah, so after that, Regal got right into an arm bar. And this is how freaking awesome Steven Regal is. He's got Alex Wright in an arm bar, and he cuts a promo on Scott Hall, and it's probably the best promo on the show oh. while he's doing an arm bar. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's like, no one can come into my company. This is my spot. It was awesome. And what did the announcers do? Nothing, because they're talking about Steve freaking Mongo McMichael. I would rather have... At least Mongo McMichael wasn't talking about that comma character. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, so Wright is able to fire up out of this with uh, uppercuts and a nice back body drop. Here's where he hits this jumping kick. And this is what Bischoff all calls it. He goes... Right, with a jump spin, jump wheel kick, standing wheel kick. <laughs> he calls it three different oh, things in a row because he doesn't know what he wants to call it. Um, yeah, so at that point then, uh, Wright tried to go up into the corner. Or no, no, he's in the corner. Regal, like, hits him real hard, uh, I think legitimately, and then just puts him in a jackknife pin for three. I was going to say, the finish came out of nowhere, which I It liked. really was. Yeah, it really was. So the winners, I, I think he might have knocked him out. So the winner is Lord Steven Regal, and I rated this match one and one half star. I went three stars. I like this match a lot. Fair enough. I, don't, I like matches like this, too. I was just surprised I didn't rate this match any higher, but the crowd wasn't really into it. I think that probably why I heard my rating a little bit. Mm-hmm. But just like you, I like seeing matches like this, a technical match, you know, with you know chain wrestling encounters. I hope we see more matches like this during our time in WCW 1996. Yeah, and I love it when Regal puts up the V for victory. Yes. Talk about V for victory. Let's go to me, Gene, with Lord Steven Regal in the ring right now. Kind of could be Alex Wright with a great move backfired. He didn't get to put it the way he wanted it. The one, two, three, he goes down the feet. Such a sad, sad shame for Alex Wright. Poor competitor, but his whole family's uglier than him. How's that? See, I didn't make the guy that bad. You almost had it. You almost had me. Let's go now to mean Gene Okerlund. Thank you, Eric. Uh, with me, Lord Stephen Regal. Most impressive, I must say, against this youngster, just barely 20 years old. 
But uh, the one thing that the fans bring out to me as I travel around the country, Lord Stephen Regal, is the way you feel about Americans. Uh, apparently, uh, you, you have some adverse feelings toward us. Listen to me, you miserable little toad. You telling me how to act my life is like Quasimodo telling somebody how to bloody walk straight. Let me point out. Now I have your attention. It's Memorial Day. My father will be so pleased I beat Junior Adolf there. We have got a world champion here in WCW that's a bloody escapee from Barnum and Bailey's. We've got bloody savage running around thinking he's some kind of hard man. If you didn't notice, two weeks ago, I put the toughest man in wrestling out of the bloody game. Then, we've got somebody from another wrestling organization wanting to take on war. Don't forget who's in within Sunshine, because I'm going nowhere, and it's time I had my bloody say in what goes on around here. You know, I should point out, just for the record, uh the affection that these fans have for you, I couldn't help but notice the one youngster here giving you half a peace sign. I don't think they think that highly of your personality, your wrestling skills notwithstanding. When you are a significant grappler as myself, you are not bothered by such meager peasants. And that means you, sunshine. Now, to prove myself, I am going to make a statement, a challenge if you wish, to the man they call the franchise. If I beat this man and you, Mr. Sting, I hope you're listening. I will then be held within some esteem here well, and maybe get a shot at this bloody circus freak that we have as a champion. I want that painted face bloody clown. Please. Right in this Thank room you very much. Possible. Take it to the championship committee, please. I can't stand the heat. Eric, let's get back to you. One thing I enjoy about William Regal, Stephen Regal, my bad, is that he likes to call... Americans a toad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what he called me and Gene. So, he also calls Alex Wright Jr. Hitler. Yes. Whoa. Whoa. Adolf Jr. Yeah, Adolf Jr. made me laugh. I guess, yeah, once I wanted to include this, the Regal promo in with the podcast because I, I always, yeah, besides enjoying Regal's wrestling ability, I also enjoy his promo abilities. You know, he, I feel like he was one of the great, greats during this time period on the mic that really didn't get much credit to yeah I, well, I would agree he's a great promo um you know uh i love steven regal and i wish uh, the stars would have aligned for him to get a major push as you know a champion at some point and they just never did uh and that kind of sucks but he was he was awesome and talk he was the, awesome and how you were talking about the p the victory sign the two fingers up one thing I I made me laugh in the promo to that one that I added in was, you know, that Mean Gene pointed out that yeah the fans were giving Regal a half a peace sign. Yeah. And I'm also excited to hear that Regal is challenging Sting because Regal wants to move up to become World Heavyweight Champion in WCW and he wants to take on the franchise at WCW. Yeah. So when he said that he was challenging the franchise, legitimately, I was like. Shane Douglas? Why is he why is he challenging Shane That's Douglas? That's what I thought too. <laughs> I'm not even joking. I was like and then when he was like staying, I was like, Oh okay, I got it. <laughs> but yeah, it made me laugh too when he said franchise because yeah. My mindset too, yeah, franchise Shane yeah. Douglas. Yeah, the franchise I know is Shane Douglas. Ugh. 
Yeah, the meat. Yeah, <laughs> at end of the clip that I, that I put in, Gene sends it to uh, Bischoff, and Bischoff sends it to a commercial for the main event. We come back for the main event, which was Scotty Steiner taking on the man called Stain. Man called Sting. The man man called, Sting. called Sting. And as Sting is coming out, he cuts a great promo consisting of this. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and I mentioned that when Steiner was walking out, he looked like a mixture of the later days Big Papa Pump in the early days, early 90s Scotty Steiner. Yeah, especially because he has his straps down when he comes out. He looked very much like the Big Papa Pump days. Yes, and when the Steiner came out, he stopped at Flitter's table, grabbed something to eat, and Bobby uh, claimed he grabbed a few pieces of cheese. Yeah, was, a couple pieces of cheese. I wasn't able to make out <laughs> what he grabbed, but yeah, he grabbed something. Yeah. Then, you know, as noted, I like to notice different people's attires, and Scotty Steiner was wearing a neon green and black singlet, wrestling singlet. And Steiner was wearing black tights with uh, bright green boots. And I I don't know, in my notes, I put down bright green books. I don't know, don't know what was on my mind. But in ways, I really don't like like it when opponents dress pretty the same. Yeah, they looked like they could have been a team. And, you know, yeah. And I no- noted a line from Bobby Heaton that I wanted to mention before I kick it to you to, to talk about the match. Bobby Heaton says, and I quote, Scott Steiner is half the Steiner brothers, and that means he has a half a mind. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that too. Yeah, they they share a brain, so it means he's a half wit. <laughs> Which makes sense as they approach, you know, where like they share their boots since one words, you know, what they both have one black boot, one white boot, or whatever else like that. No, just Rick has it. Okay, I'm confused. Mismatch just like Rick Steiner. Ones. I must have a half of mine, Mr. Beverly Hills. You're the Rick Steiner of this podcast team. That means I'm Scott Steiner. I wish I could quote the promo that he does where he's talking about math. You're the big it's, bad booty daddy, Mr. Beverly I, I love the the promo where he talks about math, where he oh, he's like, so 110%, that means you're half the man. And it's like awesome. There's a great YouTube video with like the formulas going across the screen, which are, it's just awesome. It's okay, Mr. Beverly Hills. When you describe this match, I will go suck on some booty. Some booty. I will suck on some booty, Mr. Beverly Hills. Don't you remember that's what Scott Sender told Flair to, Flair to do? No. He called Flair a butt sucker. You were cutting it. You were cutting the promo like Sid, though. I know because I am the master and the ruler of the world, and I don't know. Okay, so Scott Steiner and Sting <laughs> start off the match by shaking each other's hands, um, and Steiner's able to hit a, at an arm drag. Um, yeah, that's where Heenan said that they share half share a brain, which I thought was funny. Uh, Steiner had some really good kind of power power moves here. He hit a, a press slam. I uh, go rail press slam, Gino. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, Sting hit a plancha to the floor, though. Um, Steiner was able to, you know, throw a kind of really good-looking uh, belly-to-belly uh, suplex here. 
And Bischoff was talking about how good or how many suplexes Steiner knew. And he's like, he can hit the belly to belly. He can hit a belly to back. He can hit a back to back. And I was like, back to back, back to back suplex. I'd like to see that Eric Bischoff. (laughs) Um, yeah. So Steiner hit an ax handle from the top, uh, from the top rope down to the floor. Um, yeah. Steiner hit another nice belly to belly, um, uh, uh, overhead belly to belly, right? Yeah, yeah. Those those all really look good. As I say, I know um, I note in my notes. I earlier in the match, uh, Scott hit a belly to belly, and I noted you know when he did the overhead belly to belly. I, to me, I enjoy seeing Scotty or anybody else who do belly to bellies to to uh, do different styles of belly to bellies in the match to kind of change it up and all that. Right, I would agree with you. Um. Okay. Sting was able to get a, a stinger splash at one point, which I thought would get, and then he missed one. Um, Steiner with another variation. He had a good-looking dragon suplex here. Um, before we get kind of our involvement here, our extracurricular activities first, the total package comes down, just kind of wandering around the ring. Then the other half of the brain, Rick Steiner, comes down. He's wearing a very... Very interesting look here. He's got striped, like, workout shorts on, um, a tie-dye shirt, and a baseball cap. And I'm like, whoa, Rick Steiner is out of control here. Um, back in the ring, Scott hit a – just kind of – I just called it a throw, just a big throw. Um, he signaled for the, the Frankensteiner, but he, he missed it. Didn't he – did uh, Scotty also hit a second rope uh, small and drop in there? Yeah, probably. Okay. Oh, I mentioned that, and so I was just curious on exactly where right. that happened. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, then yeah, you said that Steen. Oh yeah, Scotty was signaling for the Frankensteiner. Right, and as he and, and right after he missed it, like really quick, uh, Sting locked in a deathlock, which I thought was a really kind of cool note. He just like jumped right into it. Um, but they're right in the ropes, so so they're called off. Uh, Steiner tries to put him up for a tombstone, but Sting is able to reverse it, and he hits one uh, for a two-count. Um, so Sting goes for a Stinger splash, but he he, he missed it. Uh, Steiner uh, suplexes Sting to the floor, um, where Luger kind of gets involved. Uh, Steiner Rick Steiner gets kind of pissed off about that and they start fighting and this is where really all kind of hell breaks loose and yeah we get a double DQ here double disqualification is the winner of the match (laughs) right exactly and I rated this match one and one half star due to the lack of crowd reaction okay (laughs) you just like rate the crowd reaction well like I said before the crowd reaction most of the time I watch these reviews I I don't I didn't get much sleep the night before, so most of the time I'm watching this I'm I'm tired and all that and when the announcers aren't really talking about the match, when the fans really aren't into the match, I have trouble staying interested in the match. Alright, I went two and a quarter on this one. Fair enough. Then uh and then a bunch of dudes came from the back to try to separate the four dudes. Right on. Yep. Then we go to Bischoff and Heenan and all that up at the Nitro announcers booth up at the t- uh, up by the stage and all that they were talking about the main event then mm-hmm. 
We have the invader come come back. Yep, here he comes. And as he comes, so does the promo that I also was able to get. So let's kick it to Bobby and Eric. I tell you what, mayhem here at the end of the night. And like I said, hours ago, these guys had to be considered some of the closest friends around. And tonight, it just breaks down here. Heenan, I don't know what to make of it. Man. Well, there is no friendship, like I said. They're both in that ring. They both want what each other has. They both want that, they both want that position. They both want to be on top here at WCW. And the only way to do that is you got to kick people's butts. you got to make enemies. All right, all right, all right. Hey, looky here. You wanted to say... you got such a big mouth. And we, we are sick of it. What do you mean, who's me? No. Hey, this is where the big boys play? What a joke. I tell you what, you go tell billionaire Ted, you tell him get three of his very, very best. Maybe, uh, maybe the Nacho Man. Oh, no. Hey, maybe, maybe you get the stinger. Ooh, I'm so scared. You go get anybody you want, because we... What do you mean, we? We are taking over. You want to go to war? You want a war? You got one. Only, only let's do it right. In the ring, where it matters. Not on no microphones. Not in no newspapers or dirt sheets. Let's do it in the ring, where it matters. If, uh, if billionaire Ted and his big boys, if they got any, uh, any guts, because we are coming down here You're stepping over the line and like it or not not we are taking over you're out of here you're out of here i don't know what to say we'll see you next week All right, here we go. Thrilling conclusion. Talking about Scott Ooh. Hall up on stage. Please. I enjoyed this promo. To me, I feel like this was kind of like a second version of the first promo. And all that that he, he wanted to come on and talk to the Ken doll that is Eric Bischoff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and he's talking about how he keeps referencing we, which is kind of the good... Um, foreshadowing of what is to come here. We're, you know, we're taking over. We're sick of it. Whatever. Yeah. Which I liked, and I forgot to mention this earlier with with Hall's first promo, but it's like both promos, the crowd really was into the wasn't really into Hall's promo and all that. It's like they were pretty silent during that. 
Well, I guess I like to think that they weren't silent because they weren't into it. They were silent because they were kind of stunned. Okay. Yeah, because I know... Yeah, I can't remember if it was from Kevin Sullivan's podcast or the Brandon Vinish podcast from WrestlingObserver.com because they're also reviewing these Nitros. And I think it was, yeah, Brian Alvarez that mentioned that that either them or yeah, Kevin Sullivan, that's one of those two, said that the WCW fans... Well, yeah, there were split WCW fans and WWF fans, as noted earlier in the podcast, with with me being a big WWF fan during the time end. And when this WWF guy came down, you know, interrupted a match and all that, and was calling out WCW, you know, my favorite promotion, and saying it sucks, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to really react to that. Like, you, you, yeah, you and your company up north is the one that sucks. So one of their view, uh, theories is the fans were quiet because... They didn't like this guy from the north. Sure, sure. So, yeah, I, I I would get that. I guess I enjoyed how the show went mm-hmm. off the air after Scott Hall got done with his promo and Bishop said, "Yeah, we're done." I don't know what what else to say. Right. Uh huh. Yep. Yep. So, and they just kind of fade to black right out of it, which I liked. So we might as well talk about the jobber and the main eventer for the podcast. I'll start it with my jobber. And it has to be the man, that is the shark. Okay. Simply because he looked weak with the one arm choke slam from the giant, and he looked weak when the biggest of the blubbers cut half his hair. <laughs> sure, my jobber is hard work, Bobby Walker, because they're present. Yeah, they're presenting him as a future star, um, someone who's going to make some noise, and he just kind of screwed up everything he was doing. So. My main eventer, I had to split it with two in two different categories. Okay. So the in-ring category of my main event status player for the podcast has to be the giant. Okay. For, you know, showing off his strength by doing the one-arm choke slam to the shark in his title match. And for the promo work has to be Scott Hall. Okay. Uh, just because all these years later, uh, do you want to start a war? Well, you got a war. Promo was, you know, famous and all that and... Everybody remembers that and all that fun jazz, even though it's like the fans weren't really, didn't react much, didn't boo, didn't cheer, didn't do anything. You know, so I had to give both Hall and Giant my, I guess they're my co-main event status players for the podcast. Yeah, I would agree that ultimately the main event star is Scott Hall. Like, that's almost to go without saying. My in-ring main eventer is Steven Regal. I think he looked awesome at it. I thought he did a really good job through the whole show. And I guess, yeah, that I enjoyed seeing, you know, Hall come out, you know, in the ring, then coming back to the announcers and all that. Oh, yeah. So I thought thought that was a unique touch to his promos and all that. Yeah. So I was trying to think of some Q&As, as I usually do during our match reviews, and I feel like I add them into the review greatly. Yeah, and I really can't think of any other questions and all that. I guess we talked about it before, but I thought it could be kind of cool if WWE would do that nowadays with the different r- hours of Raw and oh, yeah. pushing up the announcers team. Even if you know, they want Booker T, they want JBL. It'd be cool for maybe like the first hour just have Booker T, hour two Booker T and JBL, then hour three just JBL or something like something like that. It would kind of change up the hours because that's one thing we both liked about Nitro was they were willing to change the announced teams 
for each hour to kind of differentiate each hour. And mm. I know Monday Night Raw did the same thing when they went two hours for a while, too, during that yeah. Monday Night War era. Right on, right on. I think, yeah, it could definitely be an option for sure. But uh, I guess we might as well get into the plugs for the podcast. You guys can listen to us on our website, mideventstatus.com. You guys can listen to us on our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash Radio. Mr. Beverly Hills, what is this magical third way that they can also listen to us? you got to get to us on iTunes because we're so sick of that hashtag saucy attitude. Rate, comment, subscribe, search out Main Event Status Radio. Do it. You guys can reach out, reach out to us on social media, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Main Event Status Radio, and on the Twitter. Mr. Beverly Hills, how can they interact with you on the Twitter machine? You can you can talk straight to me at at Beverly Hills M E S. You guys can interact with me at Dirty Dog M E S. That's dog as in D A W G at Dirty Dog M E S. Mister Beverly Hills. It felt so good to go back and review a episode from the WWE Network. Right on. Yeah, I agree. I was I was missing that. And. I, I was missing that. I'm happy that we uh, finally got back into it. This was our episode 34 of the podcast, our anniversary special, so <laughs> right to say, of the, Mar- uh, the Monday, May 27th edition, 1996 edition of Monday Nitro from Macon, Georgia. And for Mr. Beverly Hills, I am the Dirty Dog Darcy Stay dashing, mid-adventures. Skyrockets at night, afternoon delight. Woo! That was amazing. You should get get much more time than anyone else. That is our show. Good night, everybody! That's so good.